Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Her Street with K, where I look into the history of anything and everything that I find interesting. And today I want to talk about Malka Mahal or as it's more popularly known in recent times as Vilayat Mahal. So Malka Mahal gets its name from the village Malka which surrounded the structure at one time. Now however the area is called Chanakyapuri and the Mahal has a pretty cool neighbor the Delhi Earth Station which is run by the ISRO. Now Malka Mahal was built in the 14th century by one of the rulers of the Tughlaq dynasty Firuz Shah Tughlaq for primary use as a hunting lodge. Now I don't know too much of what happened in the following centuries to the hunting lodge but it was taken over by the rulers of Awadh in the 19th century. And Awadh as we all know was a princely state or kingdom located in what is now Uttar Pradesh and it remained a princely state till it was annexed by the British in 1856 and then the last nawab of Awadh Wajid Ali Shah was dethroned and exiled to Kolkata and then it remained in British hands till India gained its independence. India's independence was of course tainted with the event of partition which ended in the birth of two separate nations Pakistan and India and there was a lot of violence and bloodshed with countless lives lost but that's an episode in itself another day i mentioned partition because it does play a part in our story today now it seems malka mahal after india's independence served as a studio for artists and it was managed by the national arts academy in india but the artists had to vacate unfortunately in the 1970s because the delhi earth station was being constructed nearby and so it remained empty you know an old relic in the middle of a huge city delhi until that is it the mid 80s when the great granddaughter of the last nawab of awadh walked in with her two children a whole bunch of servants in livery dogs and beautiful carpets this is a story of begum vilayat and her two children So the Begum Vilayat and her two children Princess Sakina and Prince Ali Raza or Prince Cyrus entered the scene in the 70s when they embarked at the New Delhi railway station. So the Begum had returned to India to take back property which was supposedly rightfully hers. With iron will and determination and clearly nowhere to go, nowhere else to go, the Begum, her two children, her, the servants, the dogs, the potted palms lived in one of the VIP waiting rooms for an entire decade at the railway station in New Delhi. Now the Begum it seems was an imposing woman who refused to budge from her demands. And according to one article that I read which was published in 1983, the journalist Mary Ann Weaver had to remove her shoes before she entered the VIP waiting room and when she was brought to her highness's presence a liveried servant knelt at the bottom or at the foot of a few marble slabs and the Begum sat atop them and looked down at them. Pretty soon, the stories of Beg- the Begum's eccentricities, her two children, the dogs, the servants spread, and since she was part of the Shia community, the Shiite community started agitating for their princess to be given her due. And finally, after a visit by the then Prime Minister of India, Mrs. Indira Gandhi, to the railway station, and an appeal to her by the Begum herself, the family were given Malka Mahal. And they soon made the derelict structure with no doors. in abundance of bats their home erecting signs that read entrance strictly forbidden the palace had no electricity no running water and fires had to be lit at night to keep wild animals at bay so when journalists would visit the begum and her family in the new home they would be told of how the first indian prime minister jawaharlal nehru had given their family a home in kashmir but their home had sadly burned down in 1971 and they had to move to lucknow but they weren't allowed to occupy any of their old palaces so the begum and her two children 
vowed to keep fighting till they were given back at least two of the family's seven ancestral properties. The fight, unfortunately, must have left her because the Begum died at the age of 62 in the early 90s, reportedly by suicide. Reportedly, she had crushed the family pearls and diamonds and drunk the toxic mix. The children, whose world was their mother, embalmed her themselves and buried her in their prop- on their property with some of the family jewels. This is where it gets even more morbid, but they ended up having to cremate her a year later because robbers tried to dig up her grave and make off with the jewels that she was laid to rest in. After her death, the kids would keep a place for her every day at their dining table up until their own deaths. This story made me so sad, especially the story of their of their mother's death and how they reacted to it. And the princess and the prince, from what I've read, after their mother's death, lived in relative obscurity, with the number of the dogs and the servants dwindling, and a new sign even being erected to uh, greet unwanted visitors, intruders shall be gunned down. Journalists, only mostly foreign, were allowed visitation. And most of the stuff I read from the early 2000s uh, showed them showed the princess and the prince in a very sympathetic light, you know, warred in royals, fighting past colonial injustices and rotting away with no running water and electricity in a very rundown 14th century hunting lodge. Princess Akina was supposedly the more outspoken one between the two of them, and she would uh, launch into this speech-like mode about the travesties of being royal and living in poverty. But for her, her mother, even after her death, was a huge presence in her life and she was fighting for her mother. Like she was fighting the injustices that her mother had to face. But unfortunately, sometime in the 2010s, in the mid-2010s, Princess Akina herself passed away, apparently due to self-neglect, with uh, some who had seen her saying she had become very bony, with the hair falling out in matted locks. And her brother, who was an old man by the time of his sister's death, had to bury her himself. And it looked like the royal family of Avad was to die in penury with no justice in sight. But this is where a twist comes in. It was a journalist, Ellen Barry, who was or is a correspondent for the New York Times and who gave the world a glimpse into the final days of the prince from striking up an acquaintanceship with the prince to finally uncovering the story behind the family, Ellen Barry's expose reads very much like a romantic and bittersweet tale. Finally, after the death of the prince, the world knew who they really were. They were no royals, but ordinary folk. Con artists. To me, the term con artist seems like a stretch when applied to them because although they lived a lie and made people believe that they were royals, they never really enjoyed any royal privileges. They lived and died in penury. I honestly feel sorry for the prince and princess because they seem to have completely bought into their mother's stories. Vilayat, who was, you know, not a Begum, was the wife of the registrar of Lucknow University. And Prince Iris was in fact, his real name was in fact Nikki Butt. And the prince and princess had an older brother who had run away to the UK, lived his life there and died there. And this is where the story of partition comes in. When partition happened in India, Vilayat and her husband had to leave the country and for Vilayat, this was a truly heartbreaking decision. Her mental state, it seemed, deteriorated at that time, making her volatile and unpredictable, angry and saddened at what she had left behind. And when her husband suddenly died, she 
completely let loose, one slapping Pakistan's prime minister. I don't know how one was able to do that, but she did it. For this, she was sent to a mental hospital in Lahore for six months and given controversial treatments like electroshock therapy. But once she was out, she packed her bags and set out to India with her children and forged new identities and a whole new story. So the older brother to Sakina and Miki went with them, but after a while, it seems like he had left of his own volition and made his way to the UK. Interestingly, I read in one of the older articles that although there had been a ch- third child staying with them at the railway station, he had mysteriously died of sadness. I believe they were referring to this particular older brother who was in fact very much alive and had just migrated to the UK. Ellen Barry did extensive research, seeking out relatives of theirs and even talking to the descendants of the last Nawab uh, who were established to be so, and they had labelled them as imposters as well. They were finally outed in their deaths. And here their story ends. I have to admit that I probably had romantic notions about this story. You know, a family of royals living in a derelict and crumbling 700-plus-year-old hunting palace, waiting for justice in the form of their ancestral property. It turned out to be a bittersweet ending after all. And for me, it feels more like a sad and lonely ending, especially for the prince who died very much alone and supposedly of dengue. So that's it. That's the story of Malka Mahil, the Begum Vilayat and her two children. I hope you enjoyed my first episode. I had a lot of fun making this. And please follow me if you liked the content and want more. Have a great day. Bye.